0: Hey everyone, John and Andrew
1: here. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, positive self-reflections.
0: The power of a warm greeting.
1: And coming home.
0: This is Obstacle Course.
1: Here we go. So John, I've noticed yeah. a, a habit of yours that I'm not sure if it's, <laughs> if it's a new one or an old one or one that you will actually for once be ashamed of. Um, mirrors.
0: Yeah, was I looking in the mirror <laughs> earlier?
1: Yeah, and at the at the connection project, we were in a a room that was that had many mirrors around. Yeah, and you had a hard time taking your eyes off of it.
0: Well, I mean, if you saw what I saw, you would have a hard time <laughs> taking your eyes off it. I that. do, and I can. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, Has anyone mentioned it to you before? No.
0: No. no. Like my therapist, and my parents, <laughs> and Angie, and my kids. But other than them. And all the bullies at school. Yeah. But besides them, I haven't heard anyone bring it up <laughs> until now, when I... we're recording.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but have you ever met a mirror you didn't like?
0: No. And we did talk about this in the episode. Yeah. We? that's so, what, It's related. Yeah, it is related. But yeah, I, I do notice I do I do gaze at myself once in a while, and, and um, truth be told,
1: um you just looked at the mirror yeah
0: i'm trying to i'm trying to find a mirror and i'm maybe i'm just made to be a movie star Mm. maybe that's what this is it's like i know i've missed my calling i know hollywood's missed my calling yeah so i'm just like checking it out making sure i'm looking maybe that's why i'm pushing for us to record this um to video it
1: yeah to youtube it which we uh, truth be told i'm terrified yeah because we'll well you you'll lose all connection with our guest
0: i will because i'll just be like sorry i didn't hear that i'm just checking out the guy across the room from me let me tell you (laughs) yeah
1: we'll see how that goes
0: no but we we did put it out there and there was a few people in the comments who said yeah yeah i would i would prefer youtube
1: yeah well i mean the more obstacle course we can get to people the better i agree and yeah in today's episode we we talk with terry and the the power of positive self-talk comes up Mm. and the and there's an snl reference saturday night live which i caught <laughs> yeah you did you nailed it <laughs> and um it's yeah we'll, we'll let you hear it for yourself but um i think the power of a, a healthy self-esteem practice mm-hmm. i think is is something that i i don't hear about a lot you hear about gratitude practices but you don't really hear about positive self-talk as uh, as something to be repeated in, and and um, get into a rhythm and habit system of which i i really feel like and i say this on the podcast but i really feel like the negative energy that we hold towards ourselves is one of the greatest ills in our society you, you hear incredibly successful people who at times despise themselves or just think they're worthless or uh or battle against it by coming off as incredibly brash and egocentrical um and, and not just really success, successful people, but people that we clash with at work often show that habit. And a lot of the time, it's projecting because there's a negative self-image going on inside of them. And, and I think something I've just been fascinated by of late is, is what is the cure for that? I mean, there's no, no cure that will be applied to everyone, but what are some remedies that could be of use and, and how can we help people overcome that that constant battle with with the negative self because you wouldn't treat anyone else like that like the way that you you treat yourself sometimes
0: well and andrew you opened up to me this week in confidence <laughs> <laughs> yeah go on <laughs> <laughs> and told me don't tell anybody else but, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but you said you've you've even been struggling a bit this week with some negative self-talk oh yeah right and so uh and as have i and and um and so it, it happens to everyone, folks. Mm-hmm. And and so part of this is just why does this happen? Like we, we love what we're doing. Our businesses are going well. Our lives are going well. We love our podcast. We love everything else. But we still find ourselves at nine o'clock in the morning on a day Just sort of like sitting in a chair, feeling kind of glum yeah, and feeling kind of like unmotivated to do the things that we know and promote on our podcast all the time, like (laughs) meditating and reading some Brene Brown or some other um, great inspirational reading or going Mm -hmm. for a run or doing, you know, all these things we know, but whatever reason, uh, maybe I'll just see what's going on on social media. Maybe Mm -hmm. I'll reflect on why the Oilers lost after their seven game winning streak. (laughs) Or maybe I'll just uh, check my email and see if there's any more work we do these things all the time and then we wonder why we're feeling glum and then Andrew and I will start texting each other. It's like, how's it going? And it's like, oh, fine, fine, fine. And then we both know each other well enough where it's kind of like, how is it really going? Mm -hmm. And then Andrew starts digging in and finds out that I'm feeling glum and I say things like, I don't know why I'm feeling glum. Maybe I got the flu. (laughs)
1: And you're like,
2: you don't have the fucking
0: flu, man. (laughs) You got the mind cold. Yeah, you got the mind flu. Uh, Go out and freaking go for a walk or something. Yeah. And
1: uh, it's true. And sometimes that's not even... Uh yeah sometimes it's not enough sometimes Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean you got to try different things and and there are ebbs and flows of of our our lives and our our moods Mm -hmm. and i'm prone to that as well and and people who know me really well would be like prone to that like (laughs) you're hooked on it Yeah, yeah um but yeah i think it's um it it it's kind of baffling how for whatever reason our brains have evolved to be highly critical of oneself Mm -hmm. and we have to work hard to not be critical. Um, and, and I think there's, I believe there's a a better way and and there's ways around it and, um, hopefully we can learn more and and share them.
0: So let's be vulnerable here a little bit when, when you're being self-critical, what are the kind of things you're saying?
1: Um, so recently there's been feelings of, uh, insignificance, Mm of feeling not super worthwhile. Um, yeah. In the past I'd talked about not liking myself very much yeah. um, and trying to overcome that feeling. And, and I think I, I have done a lot of work in that and, and made progress, but um, that's been a, a narrative.
0: Well, and, and what Andrew's referring to is on his episode where he shared his story. He talked about taking a test where he got a zero out of nine on how he on on basically his love for himself mm-hmm. and and then you ended the episode by saying i'm like a seven or eight i'm doing i'm doing really well but something that came up with terry as well as is, is the realization that i mean you're never good for life mm-hmm. like you're, you're not going to stay an eight for life mm-hmm. in fact you have to work for the eight every morning like you wake up and you and it begins again and and we've talked about how the obstacles course doesn't end it's so true because like our, our, journey to ourselves is it's constant. It never, we never arrive. We never get to the top of the mountain and put out the easy chair and just sit there and then wait to die. You know, we continue journeying. And I think when I notice when I go from like an eight to like a two, it's because I've given, I've stopped, I've stopped journeying. I've stopped the obstacle course. I've sat down literally and watched a movie in the middle of the day or, or went on Facebook for two hours or mm-hmm. I've stopped the adventure when the adventure stops, the number goes down. Yeah. And for me, that's, that's kind of what I notice, and, and I think p- perhaps it's connected with you as well.
1: Yeah. It's, I th- it, and you mentioned the word connection. I think it's, it's one of the biggest factors is like, if I lose a little bit of that connection I, that I have either with other people, if I find myself feeling alone, um, or yeah, disconnected, not, not collaborating or not feeling like I'm Mm-hmm. in a group that's that's fulfilling me or whatever that that is one of the results and it, it can there can be like just those little things that you're not even conscious of and then they start to add up and you find reasons to kind of um reinforce mm-hmm. negative Absolutely. self-talk yeah um yeah and it's a it, it can be a dangerous cycle because you can it sometimes takes a lot of hard work to break it well,
0: first of all, man, invite me over. Oh, I'm a good, <laughs> I did. I'm a good time, man. I, we can we can watch a game together. I, I
1: invited you for the hike, oh, like thank you. Yeah, uh, we did r- earlier. Uh, or that was late last week. Yeah, we did.
0: Yeah, yeah went for a rainy hike and yeah on uh, in Goldstream. That mm-hmm. was a wonderful time. But yeah, I mean, it just comes down. And yeah, now now I'm connecting the dots here. Thank you, thank you for doing that. <laughs> you did do that. <laughs> thank you. But yeah, some, sometimes it's just reaching out. Like often when you're like engaged in community, doing a worthwhile thing, you're not an, you're not a two out of 10, mm-hmm. right? You're an eight, you're no, a nine. Absolutely. Like very rarely are you going to be, when we're recording the podcast, am I like, I feel like a two right now. Like mm-hmm. I feel like an eight, I feel like a nine. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like this is great. And, and that's the way it's supposed to work folks. And, but yet we, even us who've kind of written the book. On this kind of talk, cause we've talked about it for the last seven months, yeah. still forget we, it.
1: Like, we should know better. <laughs>
0: we should know better. 37 episodes in and we're still just... Be- I just realized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mindset's really important. <laughs> and morning routine.
1: <laughs> this is obstacle course. We weren't paying attention. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, We just edit. We don't really listen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> And so it's just... It's being reminded of the things we already know. And also there's this hilarious line in the first Shrek... Okay. Where, where Donkey says and I'm not going to attempt it with his voice at, <laughs> at all but he says only a good friend would be that cruelly honest yeah and we all need someone like that and Andrew's often that good friend who's who can be cruelly honest he can send a message and I'm just like <sighs> but but I know at the time yeah he's right yeah he's exactly right no wonder I feel like shit you know I've been I drank you know I drank too much or I've been sitting around watching too much insignificant television I'm basically being selfish or Or licking my wounds instead of out there actually making stuff happen and challenging myself, yeah, and so we all need a friend like Andrew or someone else in your life who can do it. I mean, I got another good friend named justin who who has got to be the most positive guy I know, and he's and he's a avid consumer of our podcast.
2: Oh, and uh justin, justin
0: yeah man he's he's listens to every episode and he's got to be one of the most positive cheerful guys i mean he works in the rain he does it all and man, i love that guy and we we need people we need people like this in our life who who keep us positive and keep yeah. our well yeah.
1: and sometimes i heard this expression that from a public speaker a little while ago you got to fight to be positive right. because not everyone is wired that way to constantly be optimistic and i'm not um but yeah, you can surround yourself with people like that, but but they're not always going to be around to help you out. And um, sometimes it takes that fight. You need to be strong. You need to fight to get back in that positive mindset. Um, and whatever that fight looks like, different for everybody, but you got to do it.
0: Absolutely. And you know, it's it's a frightening thought to think that someone who struggles to be positive chooses to be a Flames fan, but that's your, that's your choice.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Zing. I was thinking... Uh, <laughs> I was thinking that by the time this <laughs> podcast airs, the Oilers will probably be back to a five hundred team.
0: Yeah, we'll see. I see your bet, and I raise it twenty dollars. <laughs> All right, folks, enjoy this episode. Uh, Terry was Terry was amazing, and and uh, really really nails home the importance of loving yourself so you can in turn love other people. Yeah, he
1: is a Canucks fan, though he did mention. He so is. Yeah. Got to be hard. It's it, a little harder to love Canucks fans.
0: It is. Yeah, but you know. They're adorable for their for trying.
1: Yeah, they'll get a cup someday.
0: <laughs> thanks, folks. I
1: don't know what you guys, but I'm ready to go. Yeah, man, let's go. Ready? Perfect. Well, Terry, thank you for being here. We uh, we owe another thanks to Trevor Botkin who made the introduction. Uh, he he was uh, about. 10 or 12 episodes ago he shared his incredible story and uh, and you two are, are quite close I know and um, amazing individuals so thanks Trevor mm-hmm. I'm sure you're listening right now <laughs> but uh, now the focus is on you for today Terry and, and the work that you do and just wondering if a good place to start might be uh, describing Anowim House and the role that you play there and, um, and the environment that, that you help keep
3: sounds good Uh, My name is Terry Edison-Brown, and I am the House Director of the Aniwim Companion Society. And what we are is we're a day house for people that are living in poverty, that are trying to find a better life for themselves. One of the big things that we do is we actually get to know who people are. Why are are they on the street, and what can we do to help them, help themselves get off the street? Uh, We do this by providing a home for them to come to, to be a part of. It's the people that come that make the meals it's the people that come that look after the house it's the people that come that look after the home as a whole
2: Hmm.
3: while that is happening we are working with them and as we're working with them we get to know who they are and when we get to know who they are we find out what the nugget is that's keeping them homeless Hmm. so we try to do this more organically rather than Uh, paper pushing sort of idea, right? And we do this exactly like I just said, working together. So let's just say that they have an issue with um, drug addiction. There are so many different ways to help and heal people in addiction issues. So we say, hey, try this. Go give it a go. A week, two weeks, three weeks, month later. How did that work? Are you getting what you need? This is where a lot of organizations fail. Because what they do is they say, here, do this, next. Let's do this, next. Well, unfortunately, that one path doesn't work for everybody. We have to find the pathway that works for that individual. So that's our goal. Our goal is to get to know who they are, help them, find a path, check, make sure that path works, and then try again, try again, try again. Um, The pathway to change is so huge like I said, using the whole goal of of drug addiction. While that's happening, they're now clean. Now they realize, I have a mental illness. (laughs) There's something else that's wrong. So now how do I deal with that? Well, guess what? Another 10,000 pathways open up. Then we have to help direct them into those. Um, This process can take a month, two months, three months, six months, nine months, a year, five years, 10 years, 15 years. I'd luckily I've been a part of that organization since 1995. And I have seen so many people come through the house. I've seen so many people change and get their lives back that they, that they deserve. Um, some quite easily, some very painfully.
1: Um, I, have, I have a question just about one of the things you said a, a few minutes ago um, about the, you, you dig down until you find the nugget that is creating that is causing that person to be homeless, and I know you, the role of Anomim House isn't to prevent homelessness exactly, or, or um, perhaps that's part of it. But I wonder, in, in terms of decreasing homelessness, is there in those nuggets, is there um, are there correlations that that you find are similar that are part of the the creation of the problem that that we see that seems to be. All present around us. All,
3: I wish it was that simple to answer. Um, it's not. Um, one of the biggest, one of the biggest issues, obviously, is upbringings, how people were brought up. Um, if they were brought up in a unhealthy environment, uh, being drug addicted, being mental health, uh, being impoverished, uh, being in, in, living in poverty. Um, All those issues just manifest and get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, If they don't know how to love somebody, as an example, or they don't know how to, um, when they're angry, how do you deal with that in a healthy way? Um, All they know is what they were taught, right? And how to unlearn that behavior is so, so difficult. that's one of our big things that we do at Anawim is that we try to teach people how to have healthy lives, right? Um, and anger, <laughs> anger is not a bad thing. No, yeah. anger is a very healthy thing to have. Mm-hmm. But how do you act out on it, right? Mm-hmm. And our people that come to us mainly don't know how to, so we help we help teach that. So, trying to get to that nugget is so very different for each individual.
0: Well, and and I think perhaps that nugget, like. You know, you're saying, I wish it was that easy, right? We, we all want a silver bullet for, for any problem, right? We'll just, um, but but it's not. But perhaps one thing that might unite perhaps all of humanity, but certainly people who, who come to, to your place, is the whole idea of trauma. Mm-hmm. And um, I know you're familiar with Gaber Mate mm-hmm. and he's, he's literally written the book on the link between trauma and and you know things like mental illness and homelessness and stuff like that and i'm just wondering if those principles are something that you you've you've read about and leaned on and and how you see them at play
3: oh 100% yeah uh, if you really want to put a label onto it it's trauma it's something that's been seen something that's been felt uh something that has been done to them mm-hmm. <laughs> this is what creates it right you know um every anything from uh, Like foster care, (laughs) that's a very good example. Like that just proves I'm unloved, I'm uncared for. Nobody gives a damn. Mm
2: -hmm. I'm
3: going to get shuffled from here to there to there to there. So if people don't care about me, why the hell am I going to care about myself? Um, Huge, huge issue. Um, The physical violence that people have have been brought up into, um, just horrific, horrific. You know, that's one of the things that I do in my job is I sit there and I listen to people's stuff. Mm -hmm. And oh my God no wondering you're a prick, you know, yeah. like not surprised.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hurt people hurt people.
3: Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and, and and that's sad. And what we try to do is try to, you know what? It's okay. You're not alone. Mm-hmm. You're not alone in this situation. You are not the only one that's have to, ha- having to deal with this.
0: It's just easier for the casual person to just say, Oh, the problem is drugs. Look at that druggie. Look at it. You know, we just say these labels. It's easier for us to distance ourselves when we use labels. But I mean, ultimately, what I hear you saying is every single one of these people, I mean, they do have names, but Mm -hmm. as we say, these people, they all have trauma that they're dealing with. And perhaps, you know, and we know the drugs often play a role in in numbing the pain to Mm -hmm. to make life livable. Right. And so it's, it's not that it's okay, but it's but it's perhaps an explanation and it can help people to not just be so careless in their labels.
3: Yeah, That gets me when people say uh, that person chose to pick up that drug. Right. Yeah. Um, I call bullshit right on right there on the spot. Um, the pain, you know, you live with pain for so so long, then you finally find an escape, mm-hmm. and when you find that escape, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. I feel human once, finally. And unfortunately, that drug gets worse and worse and worse. The that magical place stops, and then you become addicted, and and life completely, utterly, totally changes. The thing is, though, the person got to that place in pain. Mm -hmm. You know, and we need to see that. We need to hear that. We need to heal that place. Yes. Right.
0: Well, and and we all—that's our shared struggle—is pain, and Mm -hmm. we've talked about that on every episode. And there's all kinds of escape. Drugs is one of them. There's more noble forms of escape, like workaholism mm. Mm. and, you know, and all kinds of things, narcissistic pursuits, hedonism, um, losing yourself in relationships. I mean, there's so many ways we try and null our pain or just, you know, it's not just drugs. And so it's a bigger problem than just, it's a shared problem we all have mm-hmm. and We should all have a shared empathy, I, I would think.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we know that, um, you've had challenges and, and pain and trauma mm. in yourself and, and that led you to Anna Wim house. And, and I think we'll get to that in, in a couple minutes here. Another thing I wanted to ask about is the community that's created at, at Anna because I can only imagine a lot of these people are coming from places where they've had either no community or a toxic community. Um, and or, or their upbringing was, was very painful. And I wonder if you could describe the community that is created at Anawim.
3: So Anawim is actually located downtown Victoria, corner of Vancouver, Caledonia. Um, I call it the Big Blue House. And it's a house where people can just walk in the door. And that it's a home. It's a family home. It does not look like a uh, facility. It does not look like a, uh, an institution. It's a family home. Whoa, <laughs> hmm. what a concept. Uh, the next thing that happens is that when they come into the house, they're welcomed. Somebody says, hello, how are you? What do you need today? Do you need, you know, uh, we have services. We have showers and laundry and food and clothing room and those sort of things, but somebody greets you. Number one, we have three rules in those. Number one, you need to be clean from drugs and alcohol at that moment. You need to help out in some way. So either help out with making a meal or clean up, uh, clean up afterwards or something. Um, and the last one is to treat, treat others the way that you want to be treated yourself. Those are our three basic rules. The big one is getting to know people, getting to talk with us, you know, not only uh, talking with the staff, but also talking to the other people that are coming to the house. So we have a, a bunch of different dynamics. We have volunteers, we have staff, we have residents, and we have drop-ins. And I'll tell you, we're all the same. I get introduced quite often as, oh, this is Terry. This is the director. He's the big cheese. And I stop him right there. No, I'm Terry. Nice to meet you. Because you know what, we can't have this hierarchy. We can't have a a sense of this person's better than the other person, especially staff, right? Staff can't be seen as staff. They should just be seen as people that have a key that can get into this or get into that. You know, it should be that we're all level equal people. You know, um, it's the people that come that decide what we eat. It's not me. It's the people that come, and so this actually gives that that healthy family feel in the house. And I'll tell you, I hope I've described it well, Mm -hmm. but I'll tell you, my words are nowhere near what it actually really is. You need to walk into that house and go, whoa. And when you walk around, you see the cleanliness. You see the people that are actually interacting with people in, in this healthy, caring way. Whoa, what a surprise. This is not something that... Um, When you think homeless, when you think of what goes on downtown, this is not what the media shows. This isn't what people say. That's all garbage. Look at these people. Well, these people are actually people that are wanting to change and wanting to find a better way of life. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And
3: they're doing it by trusting Anuim and trusting us and giving them the the pathway that they need.
0: Well, I love that description, Terry, because I think often... Um, we, th- we think of places almost as warehouses for homeless mm. people. Let's just stick them away over here. So they're not interfering with, with everyone else and not endangering themselves or other people. And it's just this very, I mean, it, it really just feeds the, the trauma that they already feel. And so the idea of, of being a home and a shared shared leadership and uh, it's just such a beautiful way to say mm-hmm. it. I'm, I'm wondering if you can give give a few more details about the home. Like, what is the capacity? Like, how many people can you so, can you take, and things like that? Long term versus short term.
3: So we actually have room for seven residents to okay. to live in the house, and it's sort of separated from the drop in program, kind of almost. Um, and we can take up to twenty five people for a meal. Mm. In all reality, we'll take up to about thirty-five. Right. Uh, we, you know, we, we play with the numbers as much as we can, but it's a small house, mm-hmm. and you know, a lot of people have said, "Well, geez, you know, shouldn't you make it bigger?" <laughs> yeah. No. No, we shouldn't. Um, later on, when I talk about my personal story, here, here's something that I just want to throw out there: that when I was in grade eight, I was actually my grade, my math class had sixty students in it.
2: Mm -hmm. Okay.
3: Now that class was, uh, I sat in the back if I attended. Um, I did not take one test. Um, I did not learn a damn thing that entire year. I passed. (laughs) Nothing bad about that teacher. That teacher, you know, 60 times six classes. So that's 360 students that he had to deal with each, uh, every day. Mm -hmm. No wondering he just started clicking boxes. Yeah. Aniwem never wants to turn into that. The big thing that I had just said earlier about people being welcomed into the house, they need to be addressed. (laughs) Hi, welcome. Because the second we just allow people to be a number or just allow them to just walk in and whatever they want, we're doing disservice. We are not acknowledging who they are as people.
0: Because that's their experience on the street, Oh. right? It's no one knows their name, unseen, in, yeah, unknown. Unseen, yeah, you know. Yeah,
3: yeah. Um, I love that when we, we, you hear this all the time about how the beggars are are begging me and they're they're trying to attack me and whatever. Uh, bullshit. I, I I've lived, breathed, Victoria. I've lived here my entire life. Okay, and yeah, the street people know who I am. I, you know, I'm not going to try to deny that, but I have never been attacked by a street person. I have never had somebody g- try to strong-arm me. Why? When I see that person peddling, hi, how are you? Mm-hmm. You know, no, I'm so- sorry, I don't got no change for you today, bud. Mm-hmm. Or put my hand in my pocket and give some change. There you go, buddy. Have a good day.
1: Mm-hmm. What? And, and how do you feel when you do that?
3: Yeah. Um, I feel good. Yeah, <laughs> I feel great. And, and, and I get asked all the time, should I give the beggar money? Oh yeah. Would you give money to your to your brother? Would you give money to your sister? Would you give money to your to your uncle? Yeah. Well, why are you asking? Well, what if they spend it on drugs? Well, that's their choice, not my choice. I don't. Yeah. Uh, who am I to judge mm-hmm. w- what they spend their money on? right? Yeah. And I and I live by that wholeheartedly. I am I am I am live breathe recovery. <laughs> but if an addict wants to use that money for, for to use. His choice, mm-hmm. and we should not be damning him for it.
1: Yeah, really shouldn't. And when we're walking around, the majority of us walking around with money in our pockets, that that money is of so little value, changed to us. And even just the token of offering it to somebody, sure, it has monetary value, which they may spend on food, they may spend on drugs. We don't know, and it's it's not really our business. But the the gesture. Gives them a sense of humanity. I, mm. I, can, I can only imagine. I haven't been on the receiving end of that. But you can see it in their eyes that they, they have the idea that they are valued. You give a damn. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. That's what happens. When you look at people eye to eye and you acknowledge who they are as people. And if you need to give them a dollar in the process what? You have now, you matter to them and they matter to you. That's what this is about, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, instead of the eye straight, don't look, don't talk, don't
0: But, but yeah, let's, let's dig into this a little bit. Why don't we make eye contact? Cause, cause I think there's, 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 you know, several, several reasons. Um, and I think one of them is fear. Uh, maybe that's the driving force or perhaps it's a, re- it's perhaps some, sometimes people feel guilty like, um, or, or if I look at them, then I'm going to have to do something, you know? And so when you lock eyes with someone, you're almost now you're engaged, you're connected, engage. and now now there's something there. And if mm. people can just you know avoid that, let's if I can just avoid looking them in the eye, then I can just go past them, not have to think about them, not have to give them money and get on with my life. But once you make eye contact, then you're now you're connected. Now you're, you now, have to engage, right? You yeah. now you have to engage, or else you yeah. you know you're you're overtly rude, yeah. and uh, so so it's like a. Yeah, it's like I, a little thing. We I think
1: it goes back to the sense that we are all connected and yeah. if and we do feel that guilt or and maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but if I see somebody in in a really tough situation, a, a part of me is uh, affected. Mm. And so I think that tendency to like ignore ignorance is bliss, put the blinders on just because we can't we feel as if we want to do something and and we can't. How can we really change that situation so it's easier for us just to not even allow it into our consciousness or try to block it away and I mean it doesn't help anything to do that no
3: you had asked earlier about um, why Mm -hmm. why do we do this Um, I should have said this at the start I can go on a rant and there are certain things that just get my hide and I'll tell you one of my biggest ones is media Mm
2: -hmm.
3: I hate media yeah Right, every time you read the paper, what do you hear? What, what do you read about the homeless? Yeah, the homeless are
0: like intensity. T- oh or, yeah, or, or, they're just or, negative,
3: negative, yeah. negative, negative, negative. Yeah. You know what? What about come to come to mm-hmm. You know, you want to see success? You want to see people actually getting on with their lives that are actually sleeping on the street? Come to Anwim I can show you people actually thriving, getting their lives back. But no, you know what's a better picture for media? Mm -hmm. is that homeless encampment outside of our place that's what they want to show that's what i don't know who has decided that this is what people want to see but the media actually has this view that they spread all over the place and this needs to stop right and will never in a million years will we ever show that picture of a homeless man you know, the guy that's got the, the the big straggly hair that's unkept, the beard that's got food in it, smells that old jacket. We will never use that image. Do you know what we use? We use our big family picture where we're all holding hands, you mm. know, hugging each other.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Cause that is what we want to represent. We need to change the way people view the homeless. We need people to change their idea of what you're looking at down at that person that's asking for money. You know, you you touched on it. You know, it's not a matter of, oh I can't do nothing. It's a matter of, oh shit, (laughs) I gotta do something now. Why is that so fearful? Why are Mm -hmm. we not wanting to? Because it's
0: our own issues. It's not their issue, it's our issues. And how can we stop that? How can we change
3: that? And I do break the cycle. Exactly. And I do believe media is a huge uh, driver of this mm-hmm. you know I've had some of my best conversations with with the homeless right mm-hmm. I had this um, this fellow this goes back probably about a decade ago um, he used to come to to and he would uh, it was a crystal math user and he would uh, come to our house and we used to get uh, sa- um, sandwiches from thrifty foods and we'd get too much and we'd have to throw some away in the garbage and start to mold or whatever he would go into our garbage can pull out these sandwiches and he would eat them so i'd go out and i'll tell you it breaks my heart (laughs) just to see somebody going into a garbage can Mm -hmm. and and eating food like in canada like this is just atrocious that it comes to this um he's high he's higher than a kite and um i can't bring him into the house but what I can do is go get him a sandwich. So I'd go downstairs, I'd get a sandwich, and we had this little bench that we would sit down and we would talk. And some days, great conversation. Some days, <laughs> total drug conversation. Like, you know. But I acknowledged his existence. You know what I mean? And and one of my big things is that, um, regardless of the state people are in, right? I always welcome people back. You know. Um, if I'm taking them to the sobering center or, you know, I've asked them to leave. Um, I finally say, my name is Terry. When you want to change and you want to, you, you don't want to use this stuff anymore. Come talk to me. I'd love to help you. And I say that to everybody. Well, this fella, um, he was very unique, very unique guy. And I got to know a little bit, bit about him and, uh, where his addiction came from. And it, it, it was trauma-based, trauma-based, um, uh, why it started on him and one day he stopped coming and this is one of the most fearful things in my job Mm -hmm. um especially now with what's going on with the with the fentanyl that's out there Um, it's death people die you know and i thought shit we lost this guy you know well six months later i am uh walking downtown and i'm with yates and douglas and i'm coming across and this tall gentleman in a suit says, Hi, Terry. And I looked at him. I've lived here my whole life. I, I, Where do I know this guy from? Where, From what area in my life? I couldn't figure it out. Something told me to turn around and go talk to him. Well, it was the guy. Wow. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, what? He goes, well, I'm just on my way to a job interview. I said, whoa, where? And he told me what he was doing. And um, I said, well, what did you do? And he said, well one day I said I had enough so I went to my parents and I asked them if I could stay there for a little bit and so he detoxed in their basement he went to treatment he then went to a secondary treatment facility and he had just come back and still living with his parents and he's going to a job interview and I'm like you know just my goodness now Anerwim can't take credit for this like we didn't do anything for him but you know what we were Anerwim was a place that he could go to was a place that he felt safe you know, and that to me is, is such a driving force. It's one of those things that, you know, by acknowledging who he is, is what he needed.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, he didn't fit into our model. But that still didn't matter. That still didn't mean that I did that I shouldn't treat him with, with, with respect. You know, so yeah, that's well, a good one.
0: And I think safety is the most universal basic human need mm-hmm. that we all share. Mm-hmm and and so just the power of emotional safety and and uh um yeah i'm sure he never forgot it mm-hmm. and so it was an integral i mean perhaps he didn't give up on himself because you didn't give about give up on him mm-hmm. right and then he was able to go on and and continue his life so what a powerful story yeah Thanks for mm-hmm. sharing that
1: and again uh one of those examples that john and i have the amazing opportunity to hear of of even just a small difference that that you made by having conversations with him um, had it I I am sure had a profound impact and it's just a reminder that when we take the time to be generous and courteous and vulnerable and give up a little bit of ourselves we can make a incredible lasting fundamental impact on someone Mm -hmm. else's life and yeah it's we we may have no idea that we're doing it at the Mm -hmm. time but but that can happen and um yeah just a great reassurance to to do the right thing and and Mm -hmm. to um be kind Mm -hmm. i'm i'm wondering if um you you speak about the kind of the turning point and uh, and about um people who decide that they're ready for change or or are able to kind of take the step of of doing a thing like coming to House or whatever it may look like Um, from your experience are there any common or or like common catalysts I'm thinking or any useful um, pieces of advice that can help people get from a place where they're not ready for for making that change to a place where they are ready for the turning point
3: no. <laughs> uh, and, the, and I say that very jokingly because, you know, every person's bottom is so, so different. You know, um, I myself, in my addiction, in, in, in many different ways, it finally came to a point when I was finally sick and tired, where existence was not possible anymore. And I needed I needed to change something. Like in my, um, I do a lot of um, storytelling when it comes to my personal story uh, for for Anaheim, and um, one of my big things is is that I know that I have a point out of a time in my life where I had to choose. I either had to become a better dr- drug addict or I needed to stop using. Hmm. And I'll tell you, becoming a better drug addict was an option. And I thought long and hard because I'll tell you, I wanted to. I wanted to be a better drug addict. I also didn't know how to change. I was absolutely fucked to no end where I have nothing. I am nothing. I don't belong What do I do, right? Luckily, I found the right path. Luckily, I actually had some sense in me to take that good path. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen for everybody. I've seen many people um, have absolute disgusting bottoms that, you know, like they're just SOL'd. It wasn't enough. <laughs> they needed to continue. And unfortunately, death. Right? That's their next alternative. Um, and that could be either like a physical death, but emotional death. You know, I, I, I've I met many people that are so shut down um, because they couldn't cope with it anymore. And their brain just went, you know, and, that, and that's from it. And that's unable to make that courageous step Mm -hmm. you know um i think things are changing you know um you know things like this talking about it um allowing people to know that they're not alone i think that's a big big part i mean also to let the shame and guilt that goes along with you know your brain's not right um it's so huge you know like i know when i was growing up oh that guy's a retard Mm -hmm. oh that guy's just a yeah. F an idiot. Yeah. Like that's that's how we talked. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. how our parents taught us to talk to them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, um, no wonder it happened. We're now, luckily, when we say those words, you know, luckily we cringe now. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that's not the right thing to say. Mm-hmm. Hopefully the next generation just will stop saying it.
1: Or stop yeah. thinking it. I- exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
3: Right? You know, that's what I'm hoping is going to happen to us. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's... To, to, to ask about that, the same catalyst is so different, mm-hmm. you know. Um, myself, it literally was that moment where um, I was actually, I was in a, in a, in a drug-induced um, high and I was bleeding profusely and I looked in the mirror and I, because I was so high, I'm melting in the mirror. And I'm, di- I'm dead, I'm dying. This is happening. It's finally happening. I'm, I'm, I've finally killed myself. And I thought to myself, "Who's going to give a shit?" Hmm. And not one name came forward.. Hmm. I still feel that pain to this day. I can still see that image. Hmm. And I'm very grateful for that. You know, I need to see that image. I need to see that pain. When I use and when I stop looking after myself, that's where I go to, and I can't do that today. I can't. You know. So from there, it's I, my big push for people is that when you get to that spot, you need to talk. You need to talk to somebody. You need to find somebody that you trust, um, even if it's a doctor. And to talk about this stuff, to get it out so that it's not so, you're not so feared. You're not so alone. You're not, you're not going to make that damn mistake.
0: You know, right. Terry, you use the phrase sick and tired, you know, and there's this, there's this little ad that's been in our paper for the last, ever since I've read the, our local Duncan paper that says, when you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, give us a call. And it's a local AA group. Mm-hmm. And that, that always stuck with me of just, um, when you, when you finally get to that rock, that, that point where, I mean, cause a lot of people, we say things like well, oh, just get your life together, just figure it out. You know, or, or, we, or families are just trying to like, forcibly get help their loved ones, but they need to get to that point of, of when, when they're sick and tired of being sick and tired. That's, that's the moment when they could perhaps get the help mm-hmm. and, and you can't force that moment. You can't manufacture that moment. It's their decision. And, and, Thank you for sharing the sort of beautiful story of you coming to that realization. But I think that's an important point to bring up for people that try and force the issue. It is it is their issue and they they want your support, but they have to ultimately make that choice, right?
3: We can love and support anybody. Yeah. Right. But it comes down to that person saying, you know what? I want help. That's right. And yeah. if you try to force that on that person, right. they will punch, kick, scream, right. try. Yeah. Right.
1: So you just shared... Uh, one of the turning points in mm-hmm. in your story, um, and I wonder if now would be an appropriate time to kind of go back to the beginning, um, and if you could uh, start, at, if you could recount um, some of your early experiences mm-hmm. that that were really a lot of the um, the catalyst and the the beginning of, of of your journey and and some of the real challenges that that you went through in your in your youth.
3: So. I, I I come from a, a decent home, you know. Like I, um, I share my story and I share it uh, quite widely. And, you know, I love my parents dearly and I know that uh, they did the best that they could with what they have. And, you know, we've talked about this somewhat about... Um, People learned behavior goes from generation to generation to generation to generation. And each generation, we we are getting better and better and better and better. So um, I know that my parents did their best with what they could. Now, unfortunately, they had a really shitty upbringing and they brought that into my childhood. Right, So um, there was a lot of abuse in my family, um, a lot of uh, physical horrific abuse um, th- things like you know you know we were bad we did something let's just say we didn't do our chore or something you know like uh, we'd have our hair grabbed and be pulled into the living room and then all the other kids get to watch dad give us our whooping like it was a big grandstand thing um, i know part of my story is is that i never knew it was wrong I never knew that the beatings that I got um, weren't normal. I thought all kids got this. This is just what happened. And it wasn't until I got much older. Um, and when I started finding that I was doing those actions <laughs> myself, that um, they weren't okay, that it's not normal. You know? Um, I, at a very, very early age, um, rebelled. Um, I I started running away when I was six, seven years old, right? Now, granted, at that age, I didn't get very far, um, but I'd pack a bag and off I'd go. You know, up and until about grade three or four, um, I'd be gone for a weekend, four days, five days, six days, seven days, right? Just go away, you know, I'd sleep over at people's houses or sleep under their, you know, um, just to run away, right?
1: Um, was it, uh, were you running away because of fear of, of the beatings, would you
3: say? Not really. I think I was just, this is not right. It's not safe. It's not safe. This isn't cool. I got to get the hell out of here, you know? Um, and luckily for me, I have a... a a good personality i am i'm actually i'm the guy that could walk down the street and get ten thousand cookies from all the old ladies because i'm just a <laughs> loving guy right yes. you know so i was i've always been able to to survive mm-hmm. right you know and it, it's a curse on its own um but i was able to get out you know mm-hmm. my brother and sister they did not mm-hmm. you know they stayed <laughs> you know i don't know what happened to them you know what i mean like when i left sort right. of idea yeah Um, You know, I started to, I started to thief. I used to to, to shoplift and steal money from mom and dad. And um, there was this time and I don't need, I don't even really remember what it was, like what the big issue was. Um, But I stole like 20 bucks or 10 bucks or could have even been two bucks. And I just got the walloping of my life. Just, Just Horrible. And my dad, my mom is in the room. My dad is doing it. And. Like, are we talking fists? Are we talking. Oh, di- we're, uh, he had a, he had a, uh, a, strap, okay. a, a wooden strap, a wooden paint stick, actually. And uh-huh. just giving her, you know, uh-huh. like it was just, and didn't stop. It just kept going. And yeah. he looked at mom and said, either he goes or I go. Wow. Next day I'm in a foster home. I will never forgive my dad for that.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And I will never, ever, ever forgive my mom. Mm-hmm. She chose him over me. You want to talk trauma? That's yeah. trauma. You hold on to that. Mm-hmm. That hurts. Yeah, you you are an unloved fucker, aren't you? Oh yeah. Right? I hold that. I still hold that today. Right? Mm-hmm. When I go to that place, I can't stop. I rage. Well, you were, you were still a child, right? Oh, I, I couldn't do anything. Couldn't do anything there. You no. know, off to the foster home I go, hmm. right? I go there and then all of a sudden everything's okay. You know, I'm in this foster home. I don't know stuff would go missing, right? Guess who got in trouble for it? this guy
2: mm-hmm.
3: yeah you know what I can take it I didn't get I didn't get beat there right, right? that didn't happen but I got grounded <laughs> I got stuff taken away from me hmm did I do it No. Nope. I didn't know why would I do that stuff okay once again I'm un- I'm untrusted down and I don't trust you <laughs> you know
1: yeah untrusted and unloved mm-hmm. that's a very um... It's an awful place for a child to be. Mm -hmm.
3: And wonder why I act out.
1: Yeah.
3: You know, so I then go to the classroom and I'm the guy that's sitting there and I'm burping and I'm farting and I'm giggling and I'm creating that problem in the classroom. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: Well, I have all this energy. I have all this pent up anger that I don't know how to displace. I don't know how to move this. Right. And then I get in trouble again. Right, and I don't know how to control this. I don't know how to do any of this. You know, so school is now unsafe. You know, I, 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 have a grade eight education, right? Like, and even that isn't even full. I didn't pass grade eight math, really. You know what I mean? Like it. You know, like it's one of those things that um, I hold on to. I have that. It's part of my past, part of where I came from. And I want to reiterate that I love my mom and dad today. I do. You know, I've I've been able to come to a place in my own recovery where I've been able to call them on it, talk to them about it. Yes, I haven't fully forgiven them. But I still love them. I need to move on. I can't allow that to to be my essence. Mm -hmm. You know? And that's where a lot of our homeless population stay.
0: Yeah, I was going to say we, we've we had past guests talking about their trauma and, and how forgiveness for them became for them to get out of prison. Like it's their way to move on. Yeah. Right? It doesn't make what... Because we have this thing, well, well, if I forgive, then then they're going to think that I'm okay with what they did. Right? And of course, that's not what it is. You'll never be okay with it, nor should you. Yeah. But allowing yourself to move on it's 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 a selfish life-saving act yeah. so it's not it's not actually selfish yeah it's it's yeah so yeah that's mm. thanks for thanks for sharing that
1: yeah and i'm i'm i want to continue to um work through your story but just well on that topic of of relationship with your parents now because um, i i know and just to tease a little bit of the next part of your story you you Left home quite early mm-hmm. and and you lived on You were homeless for a number of years, but but you say now that you you have a relationship with your parents Um, I wonder How that came to be or, or how that reconnection happened and, and if you could share any of so
3: that. I, I I went through about six years seven years of therapy Right, you know, in that time frame is when you know we brought up all the trauma in my past, and mom and dad were obviously a huge part of this. And I always, always, and I, I think this is human. I need to be loved. I need to be cared for. Absolutely, human. As a child, you need that from your parents. Mm -hmm. So I always, always looked for it. I always gravitated towards it. Um, I actually think some of the antics I pulled off like stealing money I did to be shown hey I'm alive I'm here mm-hmm. you know what I mean like um, I would love to go back to that brain and hear what was going on in my brain back then just to, to piece things together but um, through my therapy I was able to realize that ultimately I need to love myself mm-hmm. and when I'm okay in my own body my own skin I will be okay, right? So, I'm not a religious man in any way, shape, or form. I don't believe in Jesus or or Buddha or whatever. But I do believe in in that
0: uh, the higher power, the higher
3: power, creator, whatever you want to call it, the the cosmos. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, my I had a session with my with my psychiatrist, and I finally came to a big stage where you know what? I stop needing my parents, to say they love me. I was able, I was kind of like, I closed that end of that book. Oh and behold, two days later, my mom phoned. Says, Terry, I'm in town. Would love to have lunch with you. If there's ever, like, a cosmic moment, Mm -hmm. that was there. You know, and at that time it was very cosmetic. The, the, the conversation I had with my mom it was very, um, yes, you know, yeah, I'm doing this, doing this, yeah, I'm good, yeah, whatever, you know, like there was no big conversation, but it opened the door, you know, and probably about six months after that, dad phoned, and that was a big one. That was a huge one. Um, and when that happened, um, I actually went to, they live on the mainland. And I went to Vancouver and um, dad picked me up and it was without mom. And so mom's always been a buffer. You know what I mean? Like it never was that bad when mom was around, mm-hmm. um, but it was just dad. <laughs> and very superficial conversation to start off with. We got back to the, his apartment and we had it out. <laughs> I called him a fucking asshole. He called me a fucking asshole, and we talked, Mm. right? Um, I told him that, you know, like, the beatings that you gave me were not okay. That's not how you treat your kid. Didn't teach me a damn thing. There was no um, discipline here. That was was abuse, right? And he turned around and said, well, when you lied to me, you hurt me, Mm -hmm. you know? When you actually went into my stuff and took my stuff, you hurt me. Whoa, (laughs) I have a part. (laughs) Hmm. You know, and that was huge for me to actually have him tell me his feelings in that situation. Um, And I'm not condoning it in any way, shape or form. But I now understand, Mm -hmm. you know, there were actions to this and you know what sometimes the it's an overreaction like my brother didn't do his chores so i said something so i got a beating right like that stuff happens but you know for me having that point where i was able to actually reconcile with him um we both came to the understanding that the past has happened now let's move forward let's not hold on to that piece there and go through, right? Um, we have a good relationship, but it's not like I go out of my way. You know, um, I'm married now. I have a, I have a wife. Um, I see her parents who, li- they literally just moved here, but before they were living in Edmonton, I saw them more than I saw my own parents. And my parents only live in Vancouver. And I go to Vancouver f- quite frequently, right? Why? Because you know what? Yeah, I love them. I don't need to see them. Mm-hmm. I don't need that, that relationship. No. You know, like it's it's I, I don't need to have that it's not there. I've had to create my own family. Right? Luckily for me it's anima <laughs> my work. My work is my family. Yeah. Right? You know, yeah. And, and that's where I get my 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 love, my my care being cared about, I'm getting from my animal family.
0: Well, and you, you're also director of a safe place that you didn't have growing up, mm-hmm. perhaps, right?
3: Well, that that goes into to 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 where I changed, right? Because um, my big my, my big thing is that you know I left left home when I was 15. Screwed around, did a little bit of this, a little bit of that, all over the place. Um, I, I found um, drinking was a big big part of my my teenage life and um well it's just what we did right like i i now look at uh, some of the 15 16 year olds like my nephews and stuff and go oh my god i know what i was doing at your age you know and, and it, it blows my mind that i was doing that stuff back then mm-hmm. you know and you know I, I i ended up getting in trouble i went to jail i you know spinning slowly but surely down into the Um, I I would work, then I wouldn't work. I would, you know, um, it just, things didn't always just work out the way that they should. Right. Um, one of my big, I was always the one that took the heat, you know, that whole thing being in the foster, foster home and yeah, who did it? Terry did. Yeah. Okay. I'll take it. I, yeah, I'm an idiot. I'm, I'm at fault. I did that my entire life. Hmm. I was always that fall guy. Just tell Terry that he did it. He'll, he'll, he'll accept it. And I did.
1: Why do you think you found yourself in that role?
3: I, you know what? To this day, I can't I can't put a... I, I think because part of it is that, you know what? Yeah. I am a piece of shit. Right? I am worthless. So if I can take the heat off of you and you and you and you and you and you and you, and you bring it to me. I can take it. Right? Because I'm worthless. Right? Um... That's a, that's a harsh one. That's a harsh one to actually um acknowledge. Right? Um I had a, another big one in my life where my buddy his uh his mom died. Um I was actually staying with him at his parents' place and the day that his mom died and he was 18 I think. He was either 17 or 18, whatever the the age of majority is uh for foster care. He got put into a foster care and he did not work well with living in homes. And so I would tag along, you know, because I was his buddy and I'd get in there and I'd pay rent, like a hundred bucks or whatever it was. And, you know, he'd screw up and, yeah, well, you got to go too. Yeah, okay, I'll have to go. We moved into this guy's house and it was a guy that I admired. He was a really, really good guy. And, um, we had a, this little bedroom downstairs, and it worked. And um, after two months, the guy came down and said, um, "Terry, you're gonna to have to leave." And I said, "Why?" He says, "I'm, I'm paying my rent. I'm doing what I'm doing." Yeah, this house isn't really big enough for all of us here like this, and you gotta go. And I said, "Why, Terry? You can do it. You you have the ability. You you can survive." And I'm thinking. Why do people think this? Why do people always think that I can survive anything? I can't. I'm a freaking child. I have no I have no backing behind me. I've got nobody. I've got me. And I'll tell you, I'm not that strong. I'm fallen and this is and, and I am around 19 at this point in my life, you know and again, okay i'll go figure it out and actually i went on a tent i was actually in the tent for the first time in my life at that time you know and it was um for about six months it wasn't so bad you know like it's it, if you know what you're doing and you have the right equipment it's not that bad you know but it, it, it's not we live in canada never should never should have happened mm-hmm. you know so while that is all happening um i'm drinking heavily um I'm not able to work quite as much because, you know, the hangovers were starting to kick in and, you know, like whatever. But I could hold the job. I'll tell you, no employer has ever said that Terry's lazy. He's a great employee, does very well, whole heart, go, go, go. I'm drinking, drinking, drinking. The drinking stopped working. And I found that wonderful world of cocaine. And I say it that way deliberately because I'll tell you, to this day, I would love to do more. Mm -hmm. It took me away from my life. It took away every ounce of pain I ever had. And I was one with the universe with this wonderful, wonder, wonder drug. Now, unfortunately, it cost you 100 bucks a gram. Um, It lasts all of about 20 minutes. Um. How do you keep that going right you know and and the 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 theft that i had to do the um, issues that i'd have to 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 go through um you know my life melted in about six months and i went from snorting it to using a needle pretty well overnight you know, like if, as far as using is concerned, every other method was useless. You want to inject it. That's the be- best bang for your buck, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I'll tell you how, do you, how do you teach yourself how to do that? You know, like, Right. you know, wholly unsafe Batman, mm-hmm. right? Um, I was, n- when I was drinking, I was able to maintain my life. Cocaine? No. I was totally unmanageable. Totally. <clears throat> All over the place. Things just didn't... I, I, I couldn't cope. And this is where my true homelessness really kicked in. Because I couldn't maintain myself. And I didn't look good. I smelt. I I, I stopped shaving. I stopped looking after myself. You know, like things just didn't work. Been in, I went to jail... And I went to a, um, uh, while I was in there, I, I took a drug class, right? And it was my first introduction into a recovery-based program. And I was amazed. I'm going, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. So I am not going to use. I, you know what? I'm going to leave here. I'm going to go back to Victoria. I'm going to get my life back together. And I'm going to stop using My buddy picked me up on the other side of the the jail, and there's a 2-4 in the back. Needless to say, that whole plan of change um, lasted all of about 20 seconds, right, you know? (laughs) By the time I got to the ferry, I was already pissed, (laughs) right? And as soon as I got here, guess where I went? Mm. I went right to Broad, got my coke, good to go, you know? I was told about this place. This big blue house that you could go to that you could um, have your laundry done and have a home-cooked meal. I went and that's when I found Anawim. And I walked into Anawim, and that big thing for me was that welcome. Mm. Hi. And that's why I'm so, so big on it today. Because of what it did for me. Right? <clears throat> I went in and they asked me, you know, who I was, what I needed, and was I clean from drugs and alcohol? I said, yes, I am. Far from it. But I told them I was. I was able to do my laundry. I was able to have a home-cooked meal. And all I had to do was help out. So I would um do a chore so my big one was doing dishes because you had a start and a finish like there was no questions about it right so luckily people didn't um not many people wanted to do it so i always had that chore (laughs) and so people i got noticed people you know who's that little keener who's that over there and um i got asked i got invited to come there for christmas day and it was uh, Anim was is, is closed on holidays, and this is a special Christmas day. I am 23 years old, and I had not had a Christmas um, for probably about a decade, about nine nine years, and definitely not sober Christmas. That's for sure, right? And Christmas Day, I come and come in the door and uh, one of the workers there she comes out and she says Merry Christmas Terry she gives me a gift I open the I open up and I'll tell you the whole cosmic thing the whole thing going on out there in the world I open it up it's a um, it's a Canuck t-shirt and I'm a huge Canuck fan on the West Coast, right? Like, that's that's my team. And this is right around after the 94 Stanley Cup, you know? So, huge, huge. And God, how did she know my name? And how did she know I like the Canucks? I'll tell you. I know on the other side now, totally luck. Like, there was no... It said boy, <laughs> right? And she went in there and ripped that off and put my name on and gave it to me, right? Um... But I'll tell you that whole acknowledgement, mm-hmm. that whole "you matter, you, we care," right? That is what stuck with me. Right? I went outside and I bawled my eyes up. I hadn't cried. I can't remember the last time I cried. Mm. You know, this lady, her name is Barb. God bless her soul. <laughs> She comes over to me and and, and she gives me... And she was a big woman. And she just gives me this whole enveloping hug. Hmm. Hmm. And I cried some more. Hmm. And she said, it'll be okay. Well, lo and behold, (laughs) I'm going, you know what? If anything can help me, this house can. I, I have no idea what these feelings are that I'm feeling. I have no idea what is going on with me but it feels good. So the next, well, the next day they were open. I asked, how do I become a member here? How do I move into this house? Back then, things were a lot different. There was a lot of rigmarole how to become a resident, and it could potentially take up to like six months to become a resident. The other residents found out that I was wanting to become one. A couple of days later, New Year's Eve was coming, and so they were open in the morning and then closed for, for the next day. And the resident said, hey, we're going for dinner tonight. Why don't you come? I said, okay, what time? I get to be sober. for Now on New Year's Eve. Like, this is something that hasn't happened in like, since I was about 12. You know what I mean? Like, this is, yeah, let's do this. So I show up at the house and all the staff look at me. What the hell are you doing here? <laughs> now, they did not say that to me. But the look, I knew what was going on. And... What ended up happening is that the residents didn't know that they shouldn't have invited me and the staff didn't know that I was invited. So it's Anawim. They're not going to send me away. Like that, it, That's just not cool, right? So we went out for uh, dinner. We went out to um, a Chinese restaurant and that's when I met Larry, who is the, um, he's the, the guy that started Anawim, And he sat next to me and he talked to me that entire meal. He's the psychiatrist, by the way. He's the guy that actually was my shrink for many, many years. Mm-hmm. But here's this guy, this and uh, this man who I hate. I hate men, right? You know, that sitting next to me, wanting to know who I am. Mm-hmm. You know? I still remember that feeling of this guy gives a damn. He should be talking to everybody, but he's not he's talking to me. I matter. He cares. Oh my God, right You know things just fell into place. right?
1: Well, what kind of gratitude would you express now for for that um, that moment and that impact?
3: Well, grat- two things. It, huge for me. I will never ever in my life ever forget that that moment and without that moment i don't think i would have what i am today the way that i show my gratitude is i am that person i am that person that gives people that time of day i will be that person that will go out of his way to make feel to make somebody feel special it's so important to do right so so important you know so i luckily got to not only did I get to learn from Larry, but I also got to, to have my therapy through him.
0: Right. Well, and you know, you, 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 spoke about struggling to love yourself and we can begin to start to love ourselves when somebody starts loving us. Right. And that, that almost begins for us to think maybe, maybe that's possible. And so, um, do, have you hit a point yet? where you feel like you've, you've you've started to love yourself? Do you know when that point happened? Um, I'm sure it's not a point, but a process. But but when, when did the tide shift maybe a little bit in your mindset towards yourself? Well,
3: I'm a very firm believer that um, time is time is time, right? Mm-hmm. <coughs> I stopped growing as a person. I would say probably at around the age nine or 10. Right, that's what I disassociated with with my life. Mm -hmm. Um, and I screwed that up until I was around 23, 24 years old. Right, in that entire time frame, it's taken me that time frame (laughs) to unheal all that stuff that I grew in that time frame. If that makes sense, Mm -hmm. um, I always called it, uh, I, I can only say it one way, so um. Unfucking what I fucked right mm-hmm. you know like that's um the from and I a, a, and it took me that time
2: mm-hmm.
3: you know it took me at least over a decade to actually start to get that um that self-worth inside mm-hmm. me yeah. to actually excel to grow um to become the person that I am today luckily I had Oh, I had animal as that place, but also the place of work that I could practice these the, the what I've learned and how to do it in a healthy way. Um, for me, honestly, it was it was around my decade clean that really was a, an eye opener, um, and then another one at when I was fifteen, and obviously in my twenties. Right, like it's something that I constantly uh, look at and adjust and 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 figure out. When I cleaned up, I knew nothing. When I was at 10 years clean, I knew everything. When I was at 15 years clean, I'm like, hmm. And when I was 20, I realized I really don't know anything. Mm -hmm. But I'm open. Mm -hmm. And I need to learn. You know, I don't know the right path. But I certainly know many, many paths. You know, and I always need to challenge myself. I need to always look at my motive. I always need to look at where I'm, where am I going to and how can I get there? Is this healthy? Am I acting out? Am I not acting out? You know, am I allowing the process to happen around me? You know and I learned this through my work I learned this through my, my relationship with my wonderful wife I realized this with my friendships and I, and I also in my community right I'm a big believer in community right <clears throat> we need to we need to volunteer <laughs> we need to, to, to do others get outside of our own heads and, 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 and help the bigger mm-hmm. you know which is another reason why I do these, these sort of things yeah Right, mm-hmm. um, we have to. We have to do more than just our own singles, our own play. Uh, 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 just out what we want, mm-hmm. right? Try to find the right word now, but it's not coming. But...
1: You got the message across. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm. Yeah, I'm wondering. You You talk about that struggle with self worth, and it it's awful but that's like the human struggle that so many of us are that all of us i would say oh yeah are faced with we all experience negative self-talk low feelings of confidence um really battling against ourselves and it and it can come out in horrible ways and it can result in addiction to any number of things and i don't Understand why we're so prone as humans to think so low of ourselves and I I just wonder I I feel like Maybe one of my goals for the podcast is to help people uh, And maybe help myself with struggling with low self-worth issues Mm -hmm. and Is there anything that you can share from your experience that others might be able to apply in in their own battle with self-worth
3: well, I'm going to age myself here. There was a skit on Saturday Night Live. Um, what was his name? Joe Smiley. Um, mm-hmm. And he would stand there. I think America. I know what you're going to say. Yeah. And he <laughs> says, I love myself and gosh darn it, people like me.
0: Yeah. I'm good enough. I'm smart, smart enough. And, <laughs> and gosh, gosh darn, darn it, people, people love like me. Stuart Smiley. <laughs> Stuart Smiley. That's it. Yeah.
3: I remember that. I'll tell you. <laughs> that right there. It, it's a joke. Yeah. But it's not a joke. Yeah, for sure. Um, we need to look in the mirror. We need to really look at ourselves and say, you know what? You're not the shithead you think you are. Mm-hmm. You are a good person. Yeah, you acted out. Yeah, you did something dumb. But that's just an action. That's not who you are. You know what? You matter. You <laughs> You do matter. You know, and we need to... Always, always, always remember that. We need, and we need to do that. Right? To find to wait for somebody else to give that to you, you'll never get it. Mm-hmm. You know, because even when somebody does give it to you, ah oh, yeah, yeah, you're full of shit. You you don't know you don't know me. Right? So that I can't even accept that. We need to find that from within ourselves. And we need to honest to goodnessly believe it that you know what? We are good people. Right? I might not be good, but okay. For me, my personal strength is I'm really good with people. I can actually meet almost anybody and connect and work with them. Good to go. But I'll tell you, don't put me in front of paper and ask me to write. Mm-hmm. I could never in a million years write. So don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't do that. Do your strengths,
2: mm-hmm.
3: right? Don't call yourself an idiot because you can't write. Right. Call yourself a great guy for being able to connect with people in, in a way that's loving and caring and meaningful.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: But unfortunately, what do we do as humans? We look at the stuff we can't do.
2: Yeah,
3: and we need to change that manner of thinking.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, and this is a form <laughs> doing it this way. You know, like to get that message out. You know, we are good people, and we can do amazing, amazing things. And we need to start to to focus on what our strengths are right and push that push that envelope
0: terry you tell us part of your story when um you're in vancouver and you relapsed Mm. and it was a moment where you describe of thinking that this was the end of your life and, and thinking about this this might this might be the the time that you decide to end your life um why don't you tell our listeners um where the story went from
3: there. So what ended up happening is I I moved into Annawim in um, January of 1996. Um, I moved into the house. I was very, I was a young kid, right? You know, um, full of piss and vinegar. Um, You know, I, I could handle this not using, I was able to Uh, do many things. I went back to school. I took little courses here and there and and, and things started to um, look better for me. And so I, uh, after a year, I'm ready to go take the world on by the horns. So 97, I moved to Vancouver. When I went to Vancouver, I just hooked up with the wrong place at the wrong time. And I did not have any uh, recovery-based help, right? So I was white-knuckling at the moment. And lo and behold, um, within six months, I I relapsed. And I relapsed good. Like, I didn't do things half-heartedly. Like, you know, like within about a 12-hour period, I've, I've ripped off the business, I've ripped off, my my parents I've uh, I've done everything I possibly could like that I cleaned up Uh, sorry the money ran out and I'm done (laughs) that feeling of absolute disgust I am that piece of shit that I've been told I am my entire life I don't deserve. Um, So what I'm going to do... I'm going to go turn myself into the police. Um, I'm going to get... Because I'm homeless... um, They're going to hold me. And, you know... I'll go back to jail. And I go to the police station. There's no warrant for my arrest. My parents have arrested me for everything in my life. I've never gotten away with anything. Nothing. Right? Even when I was a child, they phoned the police on me when I stole twenty bucks off them. Right? Like it's. I know this sounds weird, but even the damn police didn't want me. Hmm. Right. I never felt so lost in my life. I never felt so unwanted, unneeded. Um. I have one la- I have one thing left. Right. I don't know if I ever could have pulled it off. I don't know if I ever had the ability to. But, you know, they have those nice bridges there. You know, I could just jump and be done. It was there. So, what else do I have? You know, and to this day, I don't know why. Um, and I really don't know why. But I phoned Adam of him. And I think I I phoned him to say, (coughs) thank you for trying, but it didn't work. I love you all. See ya. And all they said, (laughs) come home. Hmm. Come home. And I can still hear that voice. Come home. I come home this time, and there were <laughs> there were some issues <laughs> with when I came back. Um, but I needed to deal with more than just my self worth. I need I'm an addict, and I'm going to use. Um, what do addicts know to do? They know to use drugs. So I needed more help. In that area. So actually, I ended up joining a 12 step program, and, and you'll hear that within my language. Like, I never realized that I've been institutionalized in that way. But yeah, in my talk, I talk a lot of program talk. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a reason why, though, it's because it becomes nature, mm-hmm. right? I want to know what it means to be sick and tired, <laughs> you know, and I fully know what that means. You know, I know what my bottom means, and I know what unmanageability means. You know, I have to know what that means, because if I don't, I'm going to go back to what I know. You know, luckily now I've hit that magical point in my recovery where I've been clean longer than I used. You know, Mm -hmm. like it's a magical moment. I'll tell you. You know, like that whole that for sure that fucked unfucking. You know, like I'm in that unfucked zone and I love it. (laughs) I love that I'm in this zone where it's a new world and it's a new way to live. That should be a (laughs) t-shirt. Unfuck zone. (laughs) Unfuck zone. Totally. I love it. I would wear it. Let's sell them on our website. (laughs) You know, because now today I am able to see that I need help. Mm -hmm. You know, I need to continually look at myself. I need to check myself. Right. Um, My self-worth always needs to be replenished. Right. Yeah, I've gone through therapy. Yes, I've done a lot of healthy things for myself. And yes, I have a lot of healthy people around me. But ultimately, if I don't look at this and don't do work around it, it's going to get unhealthy again.
1: But I mean, talk about us all being connected and, and the sense of humanity that that is everyone yeah. needing, needing one needing help. The, the minute we think we don't need help and we isolate ourselves, that's when we are in our most vulnerable position is when we're isolated when we have no connection and and when we're all alone so admitting that you needed help and and making that phone call Mm -hmm. i mean that that is a a life-saving action for for not just you in that story but but humanity it's that connection that that keeps us all going
3: yeah and i think we need to uh, there's two folds on this right like as a person, I need to know, who do I call? When I am when my chips are down,
2: mm-hmm.
3: who can I call? Who is going to be there for me? I also have to let people know, you can call me. Yeah, yeah. I am there for you, right? And you know what? You can't do that for everybody. You can't be that person. But you know what? That one, two people in your life, three, four possibly... Make sure that that person knows that make sure that that person knows that you that you care about them and that if anything happens i'll be there on a dime right we need to do that that's how we can support each other so that when you're down you know that you can go to that somebody
0: we all need someone that can we know that they'll say come home
3: yeah exactly right exactly yeah
1: Why aren't there more annulum houses? <laughs> not not just like the the actual structure. Yeah. Well, the, the you know, idea. The thing
3: is, uh, there's a lot of reasons why not. Um, number one, annulum is not a. We are not government funded. Uh, we are privately funded. We go out each year and we ask people to donate to our to our cause. We run on a very small budget. Um, we we just had a our budget meeting uh, just yesterday and we were struggling because it's at $400,000, right? which is peanuts for what we actually do, mm-hmm. um, but it's very minuscule. And the reason I bring that up is that when you have government funding, governments, depending on who's in power, will dictate how that money gets spent. So like right now, the, the term that's being used right now is harm reduction. Harm reduction is where all the funding at this point is going into Harm reduction is a huge model. So you have the active addict and you have the recovered addict. Not that you're ever fully recovered, but that's the spectrum of harm reduction. Unfortunately, all the funding right now is down here. It's all going to that that using addict. What about that person that's trying to change and trying to grow and trying to find a better way of life? There's no funding that is in that area, right? That's why we're having the cycle of the addicts just... Doing, going in circles, right? So, why there isn't more is because right now it's just not feasible, right? We can't keep growing. Like it's it's not easy to find a half a million dollars, right? Privately, no, it's, it's not easy. It takes right? a lot of work. Yeah, you know, um, organizations out there are, are right now. Our places has opened up their therapeutic community down at the uh, the the old youth uh, jail, all government funded, right? I would love to see, I hope, I hope to goodness that that keeps going, that funding continues, right? But what happens when it doesn't? You know, what if next election or the next promise is going to be now the new keyword is mental illness? Then all the funding gets pushed into that. It's it's such an unhealthy way of, of doing things. Like I think that we need to to... It's another one of my rants, is that funding has got to stop having a barometer that you can only help this. It should be, can you help? Okay, we have X million dollars to put into it. That's how much money we'll spend. We don't care how you spend it. Mm But if you're helping it, and and obviously I'm not talking about just galvanizing, just throwing There's money still around. accountability. Of there, course. there needs to be accountability. Yeah. But stop handcuffing these nonprofit organizations right. and telling them you can only help this
0: because you're the experts. You're the one in, in we're the ones doing literally it. Literally, there yeah. doing
3: it. Yeah.
0: yeah. So if if people are listening and they're moved by your story, which I'm sure they will be, Terry, and they say I, I, I wanna I wanna give to something like this, how, how would they do that? What's the best way for them to give maybe just with their time and their money
3: well there's there's many different ways that you can help so there's um, Anawim is a obviously we're a nonprofit organization so any financial donations that are given to us you do get a, uh, a tax receipt that you're able to use against your, your taxes mm-hmm. which is always a benefit mm-hmm. um, also without and I and I do like to say this is that our budget we have very little admin in our in our budget like almost dollar for dollar Goes right into our into our operations. Like there's no like our fundraising cost. I think is something like about two thousand dollars. Like wow. it, it's pennies. Yeah. Like we we don't have we don't even have a person that looks after. I do, and I'll tell you, I'm the shits at it. Like I, that's not my cup of tea. But <laughs> um, like we it, 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 that's a big part. Um, the other thing that you can do is a big one is actually talking about it, letting people know that you know what homelessness. Isn't that image that you're seeing on TV? Mm -hmm. There is an ability to change. And have you ever heard of this place called Animum House? Corner of Vancouver and Caledonia. It's a big blue house. You've gone by it a thousand times and never knew what it was. Go and see what you can do to help. You know, we are always in need of things like socks, underwear, toiletries, um, clothes.
0: Especially as we get to the winter. Exactly. The colder days. Yeah.
3: Yeah. You know, um, I, one of the things I do whenever I give a tour of the house, I ask people to go into their own personal clothing. <clears throat> Anything you've never, haven't worn in six months, you will never wear again. Yeah, yeah, for you know? sure. Give it to us. Okay. I'll tell you, it'll be gone in seconds. Hmm. So right?
1: can people just drop it off there? Just come to the corner of Vancouver and Caledonia with, with some clothes? So
3: like I said at the start at the start of this, what happens when you walk into one? Hello. Yeah. How are you? It's an open house. Come on in, and if we have time, I'll even take you around and show you the place. Why? Because this is a home hmm. togetherness. Come in. This is community. You know, we can only do this by working together. It's the community. It's our community home, right? So, clothing, toiletries, um, food, food food donations are always always needed. You know, um, and your time volunteers that can come by like we have positions such as the greeter that actually says hi welcome to Anoim. Uh we have people that look after our donations that actually go through the clothing and put them up in the clothing room uh, we have people that teach things such as i like to use that term basket weaving um teaching people a skill that they mm-hmm. don't already have yeah um one of the big things that we don't do is we don't have volunteers do something right what we want our volunteers to do is to work with, right? It's not a matter of you coming in and cooking a meal for us. It's a matter of you coming in and working with our people and teaching them how to cook that meal. Mm-hmm. Because when you're cooking with the meal with them, you're engaging them and talking with them and working with them. And empowering them. Completely. <laughs> you know, it's, about, it's not about what you can do. It's about how we can do this together.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Together as a family, right? So um, obviously there are some physical things like, um, uh, some of the maintenance in the house of course we need to I'm not going to let anybody do deal with the electrical in the house sort of idea uh, they think they can I'll tell you <laughs> we've had that quite a few times over the years but um, but before. they're shocked when they try right? oh totally <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> that was We're, for Andrew we need the bad joke jar. <laughs> and donate it to Anna Wim yeah. <laughs> House
3: so there'll be a lot there yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. and the good. best way to get a hold of us is uh, a few different ways. Our website, W W dot com. Social media, social are- media. We're on. Okay. We are big on Facebook. Perfect. Um, and it's just Adam on there. And uh, give us a call.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll add know, all that in our show notes. We'll yeah. we'll put this all in our social media as well and get the message out for sure. Yeah,
1: and there's people listening right now who aren't in victoria or or in canada even Mm -hmm. and thank you for listening and and being a part of this but i would just for for those who can't go to the corner of vancouver and caledonia um and and maybe contribute there i just want to speak to the idea of volunteerism and the impacts that it has because uh, as you've shown terry on both sides it it is incredibly impactful in in the lives of other people who who need, who are in a position of need, and maybe not even people, maybe it's animals, maybe it's um, cleaning up ecosystems, w- whatever it is, we, we all have passions, and there's some sort of volunteerism that is aligned with those passions, I guarantee it. And not only do you get to make an incredible impact in your community, it makes an incredible impact on you, and and you've restored, or you've, you've given back to something that gave you life again and it's just that's the most brilliant example that i've come across of uh of volunteerism as a way of of giving back and and really kind of restoring something in yourself as well um so for people listening out there i I can't um illustrate strongly enough um how important it is to volunteer and to contribute and and yeah it it comes back to you tenfold
0: and something's occurred to me here that where people might start with volunteering if they haven't made a habit of it yet is exactly the same kind of place where you started from a place of um, a raw spot that you benefited from somebody else's help and now you can get in that same realm that same universe mm-hmm. of, 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 of pain and trauma and help people in that place because you of all people know um, what it can do for, mm-hmm. the, for the people that you're helping. Perhaps that's the best place for people to start is just not volunteer for just, you know, any place. But that place where they know deep down, mm. it makes a big difference because they've experienced that difference.
3: Sense of community is so huge. Yeah. <clears throat> and we need to remember that. We need to remember that we we are part of our community. And if we don't help, then we're not a part of. Right. right. So like I, I do, I don't want to toot my horn, but I do a heck of a lot. At I don't know. I, uh, I don't think I've done a forty-hour work week ever. You know, it's 50, 60 hours that I put in on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and why? Because I, I love what I do. But I'll tell you, that's not only part of my community. You know how do I how do I know Trevor? I know Trevor through Hero Work, mm-hmm. right? It, actually, they came and did a project with us. And I'll tell you, because of that wonderful organization and what they did with Anuim, and I got to meet the people. And what really got me is that the volunteers that came are like-minded. They're like me. They like to give back. They love to. That's where my heart goes now. So I, 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 I've I, continued to do those projects, right? I also go out and I do stuff that totally out of my ball of wax. Like I will go do the dragon boats. Mm-hmm. Why? Because you know what? I'm unknown. I can just do a menial job. And I'm not, you know, I have that thing where when I come into situations, I turn into a supervisor. I, I just, I become that guy. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I just want to be, you know, I had one uh, one of the shifts I did on uh, for the, um, for the dragon boat was I, they put me in the beer garden of all places, but whatever. And I got to clean tables. Right. And I thought it was kind of neat. And I got to listen to these, <laughs> to these, I was very uh, drunks or drunks period, you're, you're an alcoholic, you know, that, that whole weird mm-hmm. thing. But I'm cleaning up the beer garden and I'm seeing this person like drinking a beer and taking a half hour to drink it and thinking, that's not how you drink beer. You know what I mean? Like, was it was yeah. just a weird concept. <laughs> that is the way alcohol is supposed to be used. You know, it was quite a mind changing mm-hmm. moment for me. I'm going, it's not that bad. I did it badly. Mm-hmm. But right. it can be handled in a healthy doesn't way. It doesn't
0: have to be a helmet.
3: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. so I was like, wow. But it was so cool giving back in a way where. Right. I'm not trying to toot a horn. I'm doing this because I'm helping.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And the, afterwards, you feel good. Gosh darn it. I'm a part of my, my community. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, we, we feel your passion. Yeah. And uh, we see it. And mm-hmm. our <laughs> listeners hear it and uh i mean it's i mean i'll say it again i say it every episode we do this because we love meeting people like you mm-hmm. and we love we totally agree this is a community we feel like this is a community obstacle course we're telling these stories we're united once we hear them you can't unhear it yeah and you can't unact once you're inspired by somebody and so thank you once again for inspiring our mm-hmm. listeners all over the world to uh, to do better in their community and to and to begin to look in the mirror as you talked about yeah. hmm yeah, yeah, that's such an important thing to do.
1: Yeah we um, The whole idea of gratitude and cultivating gratitude is mm. is pretty prevalent these days but I think that idea of cultivating positive self-talk mm. is is equally important or, or more important and I, I love that idea too of, of looking in the mirror or writing it down somewhere and just practicing positive healthy self-talk can actually go a long way to to changing the narrative Mm -hmm. when it when we get stuck in those cycles of negativity and i i appreciate that sentiment very much somewhere
0: along the way we we were taught that it was selfish to do that Mm -hmm. and i i think that's wrong it might have even i don't know where it came from but somewhere along the way people were like oh don't be so obsessed with yourself or narcissistic but Mm -hmm. until you can be you know, healthy yourself, you can't bring health to someone else. And so it's actually the least selfish thing you can do. And so, um, this is, we're not just talking about blind narcissism mm-hmm. where you're looking in the mirror at your amazing muscles. Although we could all do that. Us, <laughs> right? but, but, but it's, it's, it's getting to yourself to a place of healing and wholeness where then yeah. you're, you you love yourself enough to dare to love someone else. And, yeah. um, yeah, so let's, let's do it. Listeners. Let's start looking in the mirror and mm-hmm. liking what you see.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much terry you've given a lot um in all the work that you do and as well as on the podcast today and we sincerely appreciate it
3: well thanks for the opportunity
1: well that's the episode thanks for tuning in everyone if you liked what you heard here Check out the website.
0: ObstacleCoursePodcast.com. That's where you can subscribe, check out the show notes. If we have one request, we'd ask you to leave us a kind review and perhaps share this episode. It's not because we have
1: fragile egos.
0: Well... But because we want other great people like you to benefit. Speaking of great people, we have a list of people we want to thank.
1: We've got our Senior Technical Advisor, Andy Robertson. Our Media Partner and Web Designer, Sticky Media. And of course, our Host and Snack Coordinator... Judy Langford. Oh, peanut butter cookies. You can continue the conversation on Instagram and Facebook at Obstacle Course Podcast and on Twitter at Obstacle Pod. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Keep pushing through those obstacles.